Welcome to the Defiant Spirit, a podcast about discovering meaning, purpose, and resilience in the most challenging, difficult, and darkest moments of our lives through what my teacher and mentor, Dr. Viktor Frankl, called the defiant power of the human spirit, that spirit that is within you, that spirit that is calling to you, that spirit that is you. I'm Dr. Baruch Halevi, and this is the Defiant Spirit, and now, on to our podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Defiant Spirit. I am back in my virtual studio with my good friend, Julie Mouse. Hi, Julie. Hi, V. If you haven't listened to one of my podcasts with Julie, well, then you haven't been listening over the past few weeks because this is our fifth one together on this series. And in this series, Julie's wearing two hats, both her Enneagram master teacher hat and her mindfulness hat. She's a mindfulness instructor, teacher, facilitator. We're doing a lot of work together around bringing those two worlds together, the Enneagram, mindfulness. I think of that old commercial, you dipped your peanut butter into my chocolate. You dipped your chocolate into my peanut butter, right? These things are just like made for each other. And yet I don't hear that much out there in the marketplace around Enneagram and mindfulness. What do you think Mm -hmm. about that? Well, that's what I want to change because it just makes so much sense to me if you're going to learn about the Enneagram and basically create more awareness around your personality and how it gets you into trouble or what your strength is. um, That's all well and good. But if you can't pause in the face of stress or if you can't find that space of quiet in order to see that you have a choice on how to behave, that you're not just pulled around by your personality patterns, then, you know, what good is learning about it? That's right. The Enneagram is built on blind spots, showing us what we couldn't see otherwise. And I think of it as the blind spot in the car. And now you have those little lights on the side, right, of your rear or your side mirror. And they tell you if somebody's in the blind spot, but you still got to like pay attention to that. And I find myself not even paying attention to the light when it's going off. And that's that mindfulness piece. I love that analogy. You always come up with such great analogies. I haven't heard that one before. And that's such a great example. It's like you don't see it. And now you have this tool to be able to see it. And the Enneagram is that tool. But you know, some of us still don't look at it. So mindfulness helps you practice so that you actually see the light. That's it. And, <laughs> the signs. and that's why we're calling this sort of series, expand the space coming from our shared love of the Um, quote by Dr. Viktor Frankl, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. So between stimulus, things happening, cars in our blind spot, people in our blind spot, and our reaction, we have an opportunity to pause, to get back into that space, to expand that space, and to choose our response. Don't have to live in reaction. We can live in response. And so Julie and I are going through nine Enneagram types over nine podcasts to talk about how each type might want to consider expanding the space. And if this isn't your Enneagram core type, your default position, Enneagram five today, it's in you. All nine numbers are in you. It's somewhere within you, rank ordered, whether you realize it or not. Um, You can figure that out both by just 
following along in these podcasts and listening to what resonates, you can do the new Discover Your Number Enneagram tool that I've created, free, complimentary. Go on to my website, you'll find it. Or you can just listen along with Julie and I. We're going to talk about the blind spots and the mindfulness practice of Enneagram 5, The Investigator. And I'll just add to that, B, that even if it's not your number, you might have someone you love that is this number or a friend. And that's the beauty of the Enneagram is because in addition to learning more about yourself, you develop more compassion for other people and understanding on how other people operate. Yeah, staying out of their blind spots or yeah. alerting them to the fact that you're in their blind spot. Right? Oh, this is our new favorite analogy. I love it. <laughs> um, and so, and you know what? I think fives will like it too because they like images, they like data, they like paradigm kind of things. So we're going to speak to Enneagram fives, but again, you you are a five, you have a five, and most of all, you probably know fives. And I would argue that Enneagram fives are one of, if not the most misunderstood Enneagram type of all nine types. So Julie, would you lead us off and kind of uh, give us a 30,000 foot view of an Enneagram five? Well, sure. I, I'll just start with that misunderstood, like why are they misunderstood? And I think it's because people think that they're, they've got everything figured out, that they're so in control of everything because they do act like that. In fact, my favorite nickname for an Enneagram 5 is Unenlightened Buddha because they act like they just are Buddha. They have all the answers and that they're unfazed by life. And a lot of people think that they don't have much feeling because they don't really have a lot of highs and lows when actually they do have a lot of feeling. And this is where the misunderstood comes in is that they just need to process their feelings in their head first. And so even though they might not react in the moment the way you think they should, in fact, especially the twos, threes and fours in the heart type can get upset with them that they're not more reactive in the moment, but doesn't mean they're not feeling. And that's for me where the misunderstood please, they just, need to take time to think about their feelings and that's how they access their feelings. Totally. For anybody who's watching, you might not be watching, you might be listening, but I'm pointing at the Enneagram and at the bottom of the Enneagram, there's the four and the five. There's only one space in the entirety of the Enneagram It's between four and five. And partially that's because the journey between four and five or five and four, the heart and the head is one of the biggest journeys we all make. And for a four and a five, they have a very big journey to get across that divide, but it doesn't mean they can't get there. Fours do think and fives do feel. However, they got to sort of make an effort across that great divide. Mm. Oh, I've never heard that explained that way. I love that. Yes, it's a big effort. In fact, that's a lot of where the mindfulness piece comes in for me with the five is that once they're aware that in that space between stimulus and response, when they're pausing, which they do just naturally, I mean, fives don't react too much because they naturally pause because they want to think about things. But if they just stay in their head, they'll just churn. They might feel, but just think about it. But if they can learn to access how they feel in their body, it can really change how other people see them. And a lot of times I think fives don't know that they need this because they know that they're feeling, they know they're in touch with their feelings. They don't know that other people see it as a pulling away or as a detachment from them or almost like emotionally distant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, fives and fours, four was our last conversation, have a lot in common in this way. That's why they're both at the bottom of the Enneagram, which if you don't think of it as a negative, think of it as sort of the depths of the Enneagram. Yeah. They're the depths, they're the darkest 
the most, um, you know, sort of intricate, interesting, uh, mysterious of all the Enneagram types. And there's a lot of um, energy down here. For fives, it gathers in their head. For fours, it gathers in their heart. They got to go to the other to complete because four plus five, of course, is nine. And that's a wholeness down there that they can get to. But they also have to journey all the way to the top where the action takes place. Mm -hmm. action. So they got lots of big journeys to make. But, you know, like I think of like that's a, there's a saying in the Talmud that says the greater the person, the greater the shadow. And I think of fours and fives as the greatest among us, but also casting the biggest shadows. They're mm -hmm. just complicated. Mm -hmm. Right. But and I know fives, they don't think they're complicated because they've kind of they set their life up so that they don't have to deal with complication too much. And that comes across to us as distant or yeah, right. removed. Yeah, right. When it's so far from that, when you really get to know a five, in fact, they're in relationships. Um, part of the reason that they ha often have few close relationships is because they give so much. Fives have few, like everything, like there's a reserved or conservative, you know, not politically, but just a conserving nature. Mm -hmm. So they tend to be like more minimalist. Yeah, right. they, don't, they don't like accumulate junk. They like simplicity. <laughs> My daughter's a five and she could literally wear the same outfit every day for a week. <laughs> it's, it's, it's pragmatic, but it's also like, you know, like it's true. Like most of us waste and, and fives just aren't wasteful by nature, whether it's thoughts, you know, whether it's emotion, whether it's energy. So, and I think of nines and fives similar in this way. They're both conserving energy. Yeah, my, so I'm a nine and my daughter is a five and she's like, I think, I'm not sure if I'm a five or a nine. And I finally, I'm like, let me explain to you the difference is at, you are truly neutral. You have this unbelievable ability to see um see both sides of things but in a neutral way mm -hmm. where i'm a nine and i stay neutral but because i don't want to create any conflict it's not that i don't see in fact i kind of see what the right way to do <laughs> go is right. but i'm afraid of the conflict you have no fear of conflict right. you will go right in if you have an opinion and you don't care if it bums someone out of what you say and yet it comes from this like pure neutrality Right. It's, and that's why if you're going to assign a type to a religion, which is sometimes simplistic, but I do think it's helpful. I don't think there's any doubt. Five is a Buddhist yeah. orientation. There's a non-attachment, yeah. mm -hmm. which, you know, to our emotionally driven society, because we're very much the West is like a three and there's, a, there's still a lot of heart feeling and it doesn't sound very compassionate or feeling, but in some ways, non-attachment can be the most compassionate place mm -hmm. to be not choosing sides, not over-investing it with my own personal crap. Yeah, when you're around her, you feel this deep acceptance that you can be however you want. That's compassion. Like mm -hmm. there's a there's a true, genuine compassion in this Buddha place. Now, if you're not Buddha, would you call it the unenlightened Buddha? Unenlightened Buddha, yeah. It, it is actually a de detachment, mm -hmm. right? And that's not healthy. And fives need to stand guard against that wall. Yeah, I do think when they can notice that wall or and so this is where the mindfulness practice is going to come in when they can notice this like contracting or pulling away and all they have to do is kind of bring that feeling center of intelligence in instead of pushing it away and staying in their head and they go right back to that non-attachment. 
And so that's on their end and our, our end, because, you know, if we're in relationship with a five, it's just as much for us to stop reacting and start responding to respect that boundary. Because mm-hmm. it's not a wall on our side if it's clearly communicated and understood and it's a boundary and boundaries need to be respected. Yes, for sure. I've heard that sometimes um, fives and twos in relationship have a lot to teach each other mm-hmm. because um, the twos get really frustrated with the fives that they're not expressing emotion mm-hmm. instead of understanding that they just need to go to their little five cave and process first. And the fives have so much to learn from the twos on getting braver at expressing their emotion, that that's a way to connect, to actually share what's going on in your life with other people instead of closing up. And I've I've seen in my own experience, and I also have heard that there are there is data out there, I don't know if it's true, that it's the most common marriage is a five and a two. If there's going to be a pairing, uh-huh. it's one of the most natural movements because five is an inward or retracting and two is an outward or sort of a giving. Mm-hmm. And you need to counterbalance. Yeah, right. Like you said, learn what the other has to offer. Yeah, exactly. exactly. On a good day. On a bad day, it could be codependence like to an extreme. <laughs> yes, right, right. You take care of the feeling part and I'll right. take care of the thinking part. <laughs> and you give and I'll take and kind of like. Right. Yes, so, exactly, exactly. So it all depends on whether, you know, what you do in that space. And that's why we do this work. And that's why we're doing this podcast to help people expand the space if you are the five or if you're in a relationship with the five. And for me, it does start because I'm not a five. I'm an eight. I react and respond like an eight. And there's a line to five. So when I'm in stress, I kind of look like a stressed out five. At the end of the day, I still can't say I understand fives. Um, So I have to use the Enneagram as a roadmap for navigating my relationship with fives. And one of the things I've I've learned, because I have a couple of fives in my life, is they are exhausted. I think it's the most exhausted type. Nines get exhausted too. Julie, you can comment on that. But fives really do feel depleted by the world, the messiness, the noise, the emotional chaos, the the fast pace. I mean, I see this in um, corporate settings. If there are fives in a seven, Enneagram seven, which is sort of the fast paced environment and lots of businesses are, are seven. If there are fives, they almost feel like they're in a foreign country because it's so fast. And like people are like, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. If you want to stress a five out, demand now because they need processing time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they can be so beneficial in that department. I'm just picturing that, right? Because they can be an example of grounding. They, they can almost affect people around them um, just by their groundedness. If they don't get too um, reactive to being pushed to go faster than they want. And it's understandable that they're reactive because we really don't have a culture anymore with much of a place for them. There are still pockets like tech. You see like a disproportionate amount of tech um, people, in particular guys, because I think a lot of um, engineers, which you know tends towards that. But whether, regardless, that's a space still, I think there's a safe space in that. But outside of that, or even in the companies that I've worked with that are tech, the the, the founders, the co-founders, the marketing people, they're sevens and they get so frustrated with fives because there is a sort of a snail's pace sometimes. Mm-hmm. And we live in a world where everything now is fast paced. Yeah, right. So, uh, so here's what I love about the Enneagram. If you can go into a business and point out to those sevens 
how much the five has to offer. If you stop getting upset with them, mm -hmm. give them time to think, because that's actually where the, the answer is going to come up with that you want them to bring to the company. Yeah. And, and companies fall apart without that, because I've seen mm -hmm. I've seen multi, I've been a part of actually multiple companies where there are too many sevens and eights. And it's like forward charge, but we don't have the supply chain. We don't have the technology. We don't have the capability. The five said it or didn't say it. Yeah, or didn't say it. And, but they certainly knew it. Mm, they knew and, it, yeah. And they weren't the most charismatic voice or the loudest voice or the demanding voice. And we left that part of us and our company and our world behind. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a loss. It, exactly. It's a loss. And it, when people wake up and, and notice that we're different, maybe you pay more attention to what's missing in the organization. And um, and what we'll talk about today with the mindfulness in, in fives is finding that space where instead of retreating, withdrawing, saying these people are crazy, they're too busy, you know, they don't want to hear what I have to say, um, finding where they can bring that voice out because what they have to say, actually, the world needs so badly. <laughs> I mean, without them, we wouldn't we wouldn't even be talking right now vis-a-vis -vis Zoom, video conferencing, the internet. Like we need what they have to offer. It's a two-way street. So, you know, fives need to own their voice, to to speak up, to speak out. This is a nine thing too. I think it's a nine and a five thing. Mm -hmm. It's on you at some point to take responsibility for holding back or withholding or fear of not acceptance, which is not easy, but this is the work we're all here to do. And it's on us non-fives to make space, right? Mm -hmm. To create space for that voice. Yeah, right. Knowing it's there, knowing we need it. Um, one practical thing I've seen that is important is let's just take a board meeting. It could be a company. It could be a um, organization, a nonprofit. It could even be not a board meeting, but a family sort of a situation. And a five needs time to process emotion. I think, Julie, you already said that. So it's not that they're not feeling. It's that they need to go away and process it on their in their own way. So it's not that they're withholding or they're cold or they're distant nearly as much as don't expect fives to give you snap judgments or snap reactions to what they're feeling. And don't ask them to make decisions on the spot. I see this in board in companies where a bunch of sevens or sixes will be around the table and they'll say, we need an answer. And the fives can't do that. They need to sleep on it. They need to process in their time frame. Well, and there's such a great example to everybody, right? We all could use a pause. You know, this is what mindfulness is all about is the pause, right? And that's where I was saying that sometimes you don't think a, a five has a problem with reacting because they're reacting. What it looks like is drawing in. So it doesn't, you know, it's not like the eight reaction B where everybody knows you're in reaction. Their reaction is more quiet. And when they come into their head, they're almost able to process into a healthy response. But if they in that space where they're drawing in, if they just stay in their head, and just think that is their reaction because then they don't access that feeling that they need in order to bring what they have to say out. So important. And, and thanks for making that connection because anybody looking, I'm pointing, not looking, I'm pointing at the Enneagram. Um, five has a line to eight and two mm -hmm. has a line to eight. And what I've noticed 
because I'm not really naturally either of those. They're not in my whole type. So when I feel, I feel like a four, not a two. And when I think, I think like a seven, not a five. But regardless, what I've seen in twos and fives, and it's been surprising to me, is the piss and vinegar of an eight. That intensity. Now, it comes out differently and over different things. But I've been surprised at how eight-ish on an unhealthy way, in an unhealthy way, twos and fives can be that sort of anger, that intensity, that forcefulness that, again, twos and fives usually don't strike us like that. But when you're in deep reaction, you can end up looking like an eight as a five. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it is tends to be their line of um, security, right? When they go to eight. Um, I just... That's funny. I, I normally think of the five in their eight and like tapping into that leadership side of eight, like the healthy side of eight. And when, you know, a five comes out and stands in that space of leadership instead of withdrawing, they're really amazing leaders. Like people come to them for advice. Mm -hmm. they, they're um, just natural at inspiring people like a healthy eight would be. But on the reactive side, you look at like a Howard Hughes, who I do think was a reactive five, who mm -hmm. walled himself off. And I think that takes an right. eight, that takes an eight type of resistance. Yeah, right. To, to be really be stubborn about your space and your privacy. And and that slips into like, then you build a moat and you put alligators yeah, in it. The and you withdraw the drawbridge, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. So you got to look at what, your lines. You have to look at both the healthy and the unhealthy side or the strengths and weaknesses of those types. And the line of a five, the other one is a seven and it can be the stress side scattered and too many ideas, to, but it can also be the experienced life and lighter. I know a couple fives who are very funny, like they're, they're fun and funny. It's mm -hmm. not like the life of the party funny. It's more of a, like a, I think of like a, a comedian who might be a five, maybe a six is Stephen Wright. Do you remember Stephen Wright? Oh, I don't know him. Um, just a very cerebral. He's like, he, one of his jokes is I named my dog Stay. And it's confusing. <laughs> Come here, Stay. Come here, Stay. Um, he says, most people are afraid of heights. I'm afraid of widths. Right? So <laughs> it's like, you know, this very smart humor. Uh -huh, um, right, right. So anyways. Yeah. Um, well, five, and they embrace it. Yeah. The five and the seven um, that that more, what I think of a five going to their seven line is instead of the withdrawing, there's this more spontaneity all of a sudden. Yeah, there's a lightness to them. Fives carry a heavy load, you know. I think fours and fives probably carry the heaviest load, maybe six, but um, there's a depth and a darkness that they're very close to. And it can breed some real reactivity or it can breed brilliance and creativity and generativity like no other types. It's so interesting you point that out because I would say like fours are maybe the hardest type for my daughter because that expression of emotion. In fact, when she was younger in high school, I would see her, someone would be maybe over emoting in a fourish way and she would just be looking at them like, what is your problem? Like, how, what? I mean, I would be like, Natalie, put the jaw, bring the jaw up, you know, <laughs> you can't do that to people. And then I think fours would look at her the same way. Like, why don't, what are you feeling in there? Like, they just want to shake her and like get some feeling out of there. Right. And in, in actually they're doing the same thing just in a different way. You know, the four needs to access some of that thinking and the, 
the five needs to access some of that emotion and then they both need to stop withdrawing and bring their gift to the world. I, I think of um, Jane Goodall. I don't I, She seems very five-ish to me. I have her as an example, but in, in the wild observing monkeys. And, I, and when you're describing that, I can see like your daughter observing in the wild observing monkeys. Yes, she is always in the wild observing monkeys. <laughs> um, and it's, it can be a beautiful thing too, right? Yeah. The observation, the true observation. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe that's a good segue because observing, and I do believe fives are some of the most willing people to do mindfulness work, meditation, I do think that's why Buddhism is so appealing in this day and age, because it really speaks to a noisy world with noisy minds. And how do we quiet it? So maybe that's is that a good segue into the. Yeah, yeah that sounds that's, great. Uh -huh. um, so we're going to do this meditation a little different than we've done the others because the five is so um, their struggle really is withdrawing, withdrawing inward. And so. Um, I'm going to suggest those out there try an open-eyed meditation as opposed to closing your eyes. And it's the idea is we're going to try and see if we can keep our eyes open. So part of us is seeing out. And at the same time, I'm going to be guiding you to, to feeling inwardly. And in that way, you're actually practicing pulling feeling inwardly, but also being out, not just being inward. Cause I think I, I do this for myself as a nine, cause I'm a withdrawn type that when I meditate with my eyes open, it almost forces me to have that energy that's going outward as opposed to just more of what I love, which is going inward. So we're going to practice with that. So that's a, that's a great start. So let me um, pause for a second so that I can a, find this and pull it out later. And also B. So we frame each of the uh, meditations with the same, orientation, which is that Viktor Frankl quote, between stimulus and response, there is a space. And in that space lies our power to choose our response. And in our response lies our growth and our happiness. This is expand the space mindfulness practice for Enneagram 5, the investigator. So if you'll turn to, if you're in a space where you can look out a window or at something in nature, or if you have a plant or something in your room that you can look at. We're gonna start by sitting up tall and bringing your eyes to land on that. And if you don't have anything natural, just turn to where you can see a wide view of the room you're looking in. And just start by like noticing all the objects in the room. Maybe look around, so you're looking outward. Or if you're looking out the window, just noticing the view, everything you see. And then widen your gaze a little bit. So you can see everything from the periphery of your right eye all the way to the periphery of your left eye. And see if you can take in the whole scene. So you're not just looking around anymore. You're taking in the whole scene at once, almost as if you were a painter and you're just noticing how the whole view looks. So instead of seeing the different objects, you're maybe seeing shape, the outline of whatever you're looking at, colors and shades. Maybe there's some movement. 
And you're also seeing the space between where your eyes are landing and yourself. And then as you're looking out in this view, your thoughts might come in to interrupt you. They might start describing what you're seeing or distraction in the room. Whenever you're distracted or you see yourself go to your mind, see if you could come back to just seeing with eyes of wholeness. Now, keeping your eyes open and noticing the view still, see if you can also notice your breath and specifically the expansion of your abdomen as you breathe in and the contraction as you breathe out. Breathing deep into your belly and releasing. And on your next inhale, when you get to the end of the inhale, take in just one extra sip. And then as you exhale, have a feeling of just letting go. So your eyes are open, you're still gazing out, but your attention is on the sensation of your breath in your abdomen. And taking that extra sip on each inhale and the softening in the body as you exhale. Now I'm going to invite you to bring to mind, so you're bringing your attention to your mind, and think about someone you care about who's struggling right now, someone who's having a hard time. And usually, if you're five doing this, you may immediately start to think about the thoughts about this person and what they might do, processing how you might help them or what's going on with them. And I invite you to bring your attention back to your abdomen, back to the center of your body, and see if you notice your feeling. What do you feel in your body emotionally about what's going on with this person? You may notice your thoughts coming in. Just notice when that happens and invite your attention back to the center of your body, maybe right around your diaphragm or your belly. Notice if there's any tightening. Sometimes the fives can feel a tightening in their center of their body. Not trying to change it, just noticing it. When thoughts come in, don't fight them. Just keep inviting your attention back to the center of your body. What do you notice? And if you don't notice any sensation, notice that. What does no sensation feel like? 
Now I invite you to return to the breath practice we were doing. So just breathing in, taking that extra sip on the inhale, feeling the sensation in your abdomen, and then that letting go or softening on the exhale. Still noticing the view in front of you, just the whole view, as your attention is drawn over and over back to your belly and the rise and fall as you breathe. Take one more deep breath in and a slow softening. Exhale, feeling the letting go in your body. And as you're ready, you can relax. Come on back to the podcast. And I'll just say a few things about why I chose that meditation for any of you fives who maybe want to revisit it. Um, Fives sometimes aren't aware of their withdrawing. So to practice bringing to mind something that maybe stresses you out and noticing how you go straight to your head to solve it and see if you can come into your body as a practice. And when you start, you might not feel anything, but starting to feel your body's reaction is how you start getting in touch with your emotion and softening a little bit that withdrawal. And then if you do breath practices, that extra sip is just that Fives can breathe really shallow because they're so up in their heads and then really intentionally making it a deeper breath can be really helpful to access the emotion. And then lastly, a meditation with your eyes open just kind of counters that natural inclination to want to draw it in. If you can feel sensations inside while you're also taking in what's outside, it can help with that energy that we all need you to bring to us. That's Powerful, beautiful. I felt like an Enneagram five. I couldn't have the world staring at me while I turned my head to the side. So um, really uh, felt embodied in ways that I hadn't felt in the previous um, in previous meditations. So thank you. Great. Yeah, you well, got that nine to five, B. I do. I'm proud of it. Um, so the bottom line is all you Enneagram fives, you now have this meditation in your tool bag. If you don't, you um, you have a five in your life, come back to this to really get into the shoes of a five, to see the world through the lens of a five. That's what the Enneagram is really all about. As a teacher of mine, Wayne Dyer said, it's about intimacy, into me see, to seeing the people around us and to seeing as the people around us see the world. And that's how we can stop reacting and choose our response. So go out into the world, see the fives, um, and fives, go out into the world and be seen because we need so much of what you have to bring to the world. So thank you, Julie, as always. Yeah, thank you, B. And we will catch you all in the next podcast where, of course, we're just counting along, moving forward to Enneagram 6, The Loyalist. So we'll see you all in the next one. Until then, defy your number and live your spirit. And don't forget to check out Julie's website, mindfulmouse.com, M-A-U-S. Mm -hmm. And don't forget to jump over to the Defiant Spirit where you can download the Discover Your Number Enneagram 
discovery tool. It's complimentary and it'll help you on your journey to discovering and defining your number. Take care. All right. Okay. Sec, it's still recording. Oh, it seems to be spinning around and around. So we might still be recording if we are. Well, I'll talk to you later, Julie. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. All right. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Defiant Spirit Podcast with me, your host, Dr. Baruch Halevi. If you like what you heard, please consider leaving a five-star review and share this podcast with others. To learn more about the Defiant Spirit, get more inspirational content, or see how we might work together to live your Defiant Spirit, visit DefiantSpirit.org. Until then, take back your power and live your Defiant